I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello, I'm Eric Huang, the creator of Saint Podcast a history and culture podcast about the always fascinating and often controversial lives of the saints. If you like gothic tales, legends and lore, feminist histories, queer histories, vulgar histories, you'll love Saint Podcast. Tune in to listen to the stories of a saint who was the inspiration behind Rapunzel, a Roman warrior who's the patron saint of pandemics and gay men, a British princess who inspired a medieval cult of virgins, and a monk who could control the weather, resurrect the dead, and expel demons through exorcism. St. Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. to the Vulgar History Podcast, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and this is our international season, tits out, sans frontières, etc. So this is where we've been looking at women from various places around the world, and also looking at different, well, as much as possible, 
as much as I was able to while also, you know, finding the scandalous stories that are the main thing that this podcast is about. Trying to get into different kinds of people. So we've been, we've looked so far at people, um, you know, uh, Ronnie Ditta, like that was disability representation. And Jenga, like, did some stuff when she was an older person. So that's a representation of people of various different ages. We've gotten into, well, gender stuff, I guess, with Njinga, also with Catalina de Arroso. With the Chevalier Deon last time, we were getting into a story of a fabulous trans woman. And this week, we're looking at Christina of Sweden, where there's also, there's certainly gender stuff going on here. And I guess I'll just give the usual... Well, as for the last couple episodes, like the the protocol that I'm using on this podcast is I look at when trying to figure out pronouns, for instance, um, for Christina, she wrote an unpublished memoir in which she describes herself as a woman and female. So we're using she, her pronouns for Christina, but some sources use other pronouns for her. And I think that's just as possible and just as appropriate. She certainly had a complicated relationship with her own gender and also with her own sex. So we're going to be talking a bit in her story about intersex traits because she seemingly probably had some intersex traits as well. Um, she's quasi, she's one of the more famous people I've done on this podcast, which kind of just tells you like how obscure we're getting in this podcast that Christina Sweden is like one of the more famous but I totally don't have a scope of understanding of who is famous to like not me and not podcast listeners. Like, did you know there's people in the world who don't know about Fredigand or Francis Howard? Anyway, Christina Sweden. There's been um, two fairly major movies about it. There's one from the 1930s starring Greta Garbo, also a um, queer icon, also Swedish, playing Christina of Sweden. And then there was a movie from a few years ago called The Girl King. So, um, a lot of what's known or what's kind of talked about Christina is like, was she a lesbian? And I'm here to tell you, like, maybe, <laughs> and maybe, um, there's a lot of things about her gender and her sexuality that like, we don't know. And it's just a more complicated question with her than for some other people we've looked at. So I'm not here to like, um, what's it called on a doctor to like diagnose her exactly what was in her heart um but I'm just going to kind of tell you about what she did and who she did it with and what she thought about things and I hope that if you see yourself in her then good and that's legitimate and like truly I don't she when you're looking at the like um umbrella of like all the identities in the queer rainbow it's like was she um, did she have intersex traits? Was she a cis woman? Was she a lesbian? Was she asexual? <laughs> she, um, it's like lots of things that are possible. We're going to go through her story. It is interesting as you can probably ascertain from what everything I've just said. So, um, my main sources for this, actually, no, first, I want to say that this story was suggested by several people, the two that I could find just by going back through my DMs. So for sure, Kim, who is our official Swedish cultural liaison, you'll remember Kim, she also suggested and helped me with pronunciation and some cultural stuff in the Cecilia episode. Um, and then also Courtney is another Tidsup Brigade member who suggested Christina. I'm sure other people did. This was like a popular suggestion. 
I listened to the Queer is Fact podcast about her. That was one where they, um, based on their research, they decided to use he, him pronouns. So like, again, like with Christina, it's like lots of things are possible. I also listened to the Royal Diaries Unlocked podcast because yes, Christina of Sweden was the heroine of one of the Royal Diaries books. I think it's called The Girl King as well. Um, and they got into talking about, I'm a bit, I'm like, I don't know, five to 10 years too old to have like read, like been there when Royal Diaries were having a moment. But so they described what the book is like, and that was helpful for me. But the main source I used is a biography called Christina, Queen of Sweden, The Restless Life of a European Eccentric by Veronica Buckley, which uh, really, um, it uses a lot of understanding from Christina's own like unpublished memoirs. So I got some of her words, some of what she thought about things in a better context. So, and also Wikipedia, ever helpful. Oh, and then also for learning just for myself to better appreciate the intersex issues. I really found it really helpful to listen to. There was an episode of Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness, a podcast I super enjoy. I love, I love this podcast. I love the way that Jonathan gets people's, get people to open up um, and explain all these really interesting scientific-based things. Anyway, so there was an episode of the podcast called How Can We Put the I in LGBTQIA Plus with Alicia Roth Wagle. And Alicia Roth Wagle is a woman with intersex traits, and she really explains things in a really granular way. So also just for, um, to get into where does this fit into other people we've been talking about. So for instance, so Catalina de Arauso was born in 1592, died in 1650. Christina of Sweden was born in 1626. So it's the similar, similar ish time period of this kind of like colonization of the new world has been going on for like several decades by now. Um, this is certainly in the time period of the 30 years war, which it's a podcast. You couldn't see me just roll my eyes, but like, we'll get into it. La Voisin, our famous, um, French abortionist poisoner. She was born in 1640. So yeah, Christina's just kind of up here in the middle of things. And she's the grand niece, I believe of Cecilia of Sweden. So they're like Cecilia of Sweden was almost a hundred years before her. So definitely a relative, but not still around tragically when Christine was doing her story. Cause I think they would have hit it off anyway. So Christina was born in the Royal castle Tre Kroner on December 18th, 1626. Her parents were the Swedish King Gustavus Adolphus, who we're just going to call Gustav for now and his wife, who was German, Maria Eleonora. Christina was their first child to survive infancy, following a stillborn girl five years beforehand, another daughter, also called Princess Christina, who had been born three years before this, but she died after one year. So we're in like a My Sweet Audrina situation, where it's like there was the first Christina, and now she's the second Christina. Gustav and Maria Eleonora had also had a stillborn son one year before. Gustav is part of the Vasa dynasty that was begun with his, I think, grandfather from the Ski Ski Revolution, Cecilia's dad, like Gustav I. So the Vasa dynasty had just been around for like a minute. And it's that thing of like, oh my God, we need heirs. And especially because this is like religious wars were going on, Catholics vs. Protestants, in their case, they're Lutherans. And, you know, 
you want to make sure that you have a Lutheran heir because otherwise like a Catholic might take over and that's just like complicated for war reasons. So everyone was just like really um, stressed out about there not being an heir yet. Um, Maria Eleonora, we're going to talk about her a lot this episode because it's interesting and also because her influence was really crucial in how Christina developed largely her hatred of women. So um, Maria Eleonora, so just to recap, like she had had a stillborn girl five years ago. Then she had a daughter who died two years ago. One year ago, she had a son who was stillborn. So she's got a lot of like postpartum grief slash perpetual pregnancy going on. And everyone, as you might now expect, based on other stories I've told you, like Juana of Castile thought she was insane because she was having understandable human reactions to this stuff. She also was like unhappy being in Sweden. She didn't like Swedish culture, language, weather, she was just like not happy in every way. Also notice, or also note that um, Maria Eleonora's own three youngest siblings had also died, not in this time period, but like within the first years of their lives. So just like her experience of like little babies was mostly death by now. So actually, yeah. So let's talk about Maria Eleonora. So flashback to her pregnancy that she had just before Christina, that's the stillborn son. In her ongoing grief and just like misery, she became like really sort of like unhealthily dependent and attached to her husband, Gustav, who was often away in military campaigns in what would become the Thirty Years' War, but at this point was just the Six and a Half Years' War. Oh yeah, and then while she was pregnant, her younger brother died, age 21, and then her mother died. So this is just like a cacophony of sad things, like it makes sense to me that she would just inherently connect pregnancy and children with death because that kept happening. So when she was feeling better, I guess like less morning sicknessy or less depressed, Gustav came to town and he brought her with him to inspect the Swedish fleet in the harbor. So they did this from their own smaller yacht. So not quite sure what a 1600 Swedish yacht looks like, but something fancy. But then a sudden squall, like a storm hit, and the yacht nearly capsized. And so this went on for like quite a period of time. Maria Eleonora already not doing great when it finally like, I don't know, stabilized. She was carried off the boat and then she went into premature labor and the son was stillborn. So... Maria Eleonora's psychological makeup at this point, like, not great. And especially because it's like they needed an heir. Um, this was especially important because Gustav's younger brother had been killed in battle, leaving his cousin, the Polish king, Sigismund III, who is Gustav's cousin, was next in line. And he already had two adult sons. So that's like appealing. But um, Sigismund slash the country of Poland were Catholic. Sweden was Lutheran, so this was, like, not ideal. So they just, like, need another baby. Yeah, so Maria Eleonora was, you know, quote, going mad from all this stuff. Like, aka just, like, behaving like a lot of people would, given this sequence of events. Um, apparently at this point she started becoming even more, or increasingly, erratic. So she is definitely dealing with depression, and or maybe some bipolar type stuff, in that she would vacillate between being really sad and then having manic amounts of energy, during which time she would spend way too much of the royal treasury funds on um, sweet treats for herself um, and lavish gifts for her friends. So just like, I don't know if that, you know, like that's what she was doing. There's going to be a lot of like 
did this person have this like specific mental health diagnosis we understand now like who knows like maybe she just liked giving her friends gifts anyway and she became even more intensely devoted to her husband so it's this kind of like oh i wouldn't say codependent because gustav didn't care about her so it's more just like she was dependent i guess um she once wrote when i know that my most beloved lord is coming then all my sickness and panic fall away and yeah, so Gustav, unlike the Jane Seymour Memorial Award winning partners of Inez de Castro or Harem Sultan, did not seem to reciprocate those feelings, and he just kind of was putting up with her at this point. Uh, Maria Eleanor also started having some other symptoms that were maybe psychosomatic, or maybe potentially she'd had like a stroke or something during one of her traumatic labor experiences. But so from this point on, her use of language was becoming weird like her first language was german and she'd never been amazing at speaking swedish but by this point apparently even her german was not great like she just didn't seem to know words and her handwriting also got worse and worse which could also be depression or it could be some sort of like brain anyway she's not doing great um and i'm sure it didn't help but everyone around her was just like mm, but when are you gonna have a son who will be the heir so FYI, if you're wondering, like, oh, but is there, like, reproductive-based infertility issues? Well, not on Gustav's side, because he had already had a son out of wedlock with a Dutch woman named Margareta. And so Margareta and the son lived on an estate given to them by the king along with her husband. So it's one of those situations where it's like the mistress is also married. So the son, the illegitimate son, named after the dad, easy name to remember, Gustav Gustafsson. So he was nine years old by this point. Gustav was proud of him. His existence was not secret at all, but this is like a culture in an era where it's just like, yeah, this is the king's illegitimate son, no big deal. There were rumors that Gustav and Margareta were still lovers. Who knows, maybe they were. Um, but spoiler, this is not the first time in the story. It is very unclear if two people were lovers. And I think in an earlier episode, I had said that my general uh, rule of thumb is like, if it seemed like two people were sleeping together, like I'm just going to assume they were because it can get really complicated. Like, it's like, why wouldn't they have been? In this story, I'm going to tread more cautiously, especially when we get to Christina being an older person and who were her lovers, potentially, because it's just, we'll get to it. So anyway, Gustav and Margareta were maybe still lovers. Maybe weren't. Frankly, Gustav seems really busy being at war all the time. So he never spoke poorly about his wife in public, but behind closed doors. He referred to her with the Latin term, malum domesticum, which means like his cross to bear. Like, uh, what's the word? I don't know, like his cross to bear. Anyway, so Maria Eleonora, still literally a woman in her 20s, very young, um, was treated like a child who was annoying everyone, which I'm sure just made her more depressed, frankly. And then... The plague arrived because things weren't dire enough. So mark that off of your vulgar history bingo cards. And so Gustav's troops all started dying of plague. And then he got the news that his mother had died too. But then, hopeful news, Maria Eleonora was pregnant. Again, everyone, including the astrologers, predicted a boy. But it's is it the sort of thing where it's like, if you don't give the prediction that the king wants, you would kill you or whatever? Like, who is going to not predict a boy, given literally everything that was going on? But the astrologers also foresaw death. Like, if the son lived, then the father might die. And I guess Gustav was ill at this point. Not sure if it's plague or something else. So that also seems like maybe just a good guess sort of thing. Anyway, so December. This is Christina, about to be born. 
So as night fell, Maria Eleonora began her labor. It was rough, and she was physically weak for lots of reasons, including the fact that she was like really unhealthy and depressed. Um, as the clocks neared 11, a baby was born, and the baby was Christina II. Not Queen Christina II, but like the second Princess Christina. She was born covered with a call, which you'll remember from Le Voisin is kind of like, sometimes babies are born with them. I remember those were like valuable for like gamblers or something. So it's like, uh, it's considered lucky to be born with a call, but also it's dark. Everyone was stressed. Everyone wanted the baby to be a boy. So they looked at the baby the way that doctors still do today, like look between the legs. What are the genitals looking like? And the midwives were like, yeah, it's a boy. And Maria Eleonora was so happy. She was so happy that it was a boy. It was alive. They told Gustav. He was so happy. The castle rang out with happy shouts. Um, but of course, this child was not a boy, asterisk, or was it? It was Christina. So by the morning, the midwives were like, ooh, our bad. Actually, it's a girl. And I think what actually happened, everyone was afraid to tell Gustav. What happened eventually was his sister, Katerina, who shows up later and is cool. I think just everyone's just like, what do we do? So Katarina just like picked up the baby, baby Christina, carried the baby down to Gustav and just kind of like held the baby out, like with no pants on to be like, regard, like behold, like God, another just like fucked up gender reveal. So <clears throat> this is where the discussion about like, did Christina have intersex characteristics? This is where it comes from. So why did they think that the baby was a boy initially? In her own memoir, which, like, we're going to learn about Christina and what she's like, but a couple of things to know about her is that she was, like, very full of herself, and she also hated women. Anyway, so in her own unpublished memoir, she suggests that the call might have, like, covered up the genitalia, which is not how calls work. She also said that she was more hairy than most babies, and her cry was so powerful, everyone assumed she was a boy. And I just like to discount all of those things, because Christina didn't know what she was talking about. The power of a baby's cry does not reflect sex nor gender. And babies are sometimes born covered with hair, and that also does not reflect sex nor gender. So, okay. So first off, I asked my friend, who you might recall from other episodes with some gynecological questions. I asked my friend who's an OBGYN. I was just like, here's what happened. They thought it was a boy. By the morning, they thought it was a girl. Here's kind of like the clues we know of. Like, what do you think? And so my friend says, oh, and this is also just to note, Christina did like as a teenager slash woman did menstruate. So she clearly had internal female organs. So my friend says um, she was probably an XX woman. A lot of baby girls actually have very puffy labia, and when you look quickly, it can look like a boy. But there's no penis, so an experienced midwife should have recognized it was a girl. Possibly it was night, the call was obscuring things, the candlelight was dim, and the midwife was sleeping, and some junior midwife was doing the midnight birth and fucked things up. Alternatively, maybe, the mother had a testosterone-secreting ovarian tumor or something, and the baby was hairy and male-looking, but then as the hormones coming through the mother wore off, it looked more female, but that would take longer than 24 hours and more like days or weeks. So here's what we know. Christina thought it was a boy. By the morning, they thought it was a girl. She menstruated, so she's got, so probably was an XX woman. So this is the part of the episode where we're, we're going to talk about intersex things. So this information I'm going to read is now from Interact Advocates for Intersex Youth website. 
So, intersex is an umbrella term for differences in sex traits or reproductive anatomy. Intersex people are born with these differences or develop them in childhood. There are many possible differences in genitalia, hormones, internal anatomy, or chromosomes compared to the usual two ways that human bodies develop. Some intersex traits are noticed at birth. Others don't show up until puberty or later in life. Intersex people often face shame or are forced or coerced into changing their bodies usually at a very young age. Most surgeries to change intersex traits happen in infancy. Then there's a question here in their frequently asked questions that says, is intersex the same thing as hermaphrodite? No. Hermaphrodite should never be used to describe an intersex person. Some intersex people have reclaimed this word for themselves, but it is usually considered a slur. There are many ways to have an intersex body, but it is not possible for one person to have both a fully developed penis and vagina. The H word comes from mythology. It might suggest that intersex people are monsters or not of this world. Many intersex people still see this slur used in their medical records. So note that Christina was referred to like this in her own memoir she she clarifies like no i am not a hermaphrodite this is also a term that was used for last week's main character the chevalier dayan as well so it's just a term from mythology that is not a way that a person's body ever actually develops so how many intersex people are born each year what are the statistics even in countries where most births happen in hospital these are hard questions to answer this is largely because no one is required to track this information. And also in most places where hospitals record births, there's a birth certificate with two little checkboxes, male or female. And so people born with vis visually apparent upon birth intersex characteristics like Christina seems to have had, chances are they're going to be recorded as either male or female. So we don't know what those numbers are. So about 1.7% of people born are intersex. Compare that to a 0.3% chance of having identical twins. So intersex, more common than having identical twins. And I think uh, the, it's a similar percentage to how many people are born with red hair or are born with green eyes. One in 2,000 babies, 0.05% of humans are born with genital differences that a doctor might suggest changing with unnecessary surgery. So that can be... If on kind of both ends, there's kind of like the typical presentation of like a penis and the other side is a typical like visual appearance of vagina. There's a lot that's in the middle. So it could be like a girl with a atypically large clitoris or boy with a penis that's like formed in a different way. So there's lots of things that are in between the two things, the two ends of this binary spectrum. Um, there is no way to look intersex. Every person is different. There are over 40 medical terms for the different ways sex anatomy might develop. So, um, and that's all from the interactadvocates.org website, which I'm going to put a link to in the show notes. So as I said, in the last episode about La Chevalier d'Eon, I didn't mention the possibility that she may have had intersex traits based on the medical description of her body after her death, including the anatomical drawing that's currently in the collection of the British Museum. So the person who examined her after her death described her appearance as being she had male organs perfectly formed, that's a quote, along with feminine characteristics such as, quote, unusual roundness in the formation of the limbs, the throat was by no means masculine, breast remarkably full, arms, hands, and fingers those of a stout female, legs and feet corresponding with the arms. 
So like, what does this mean? So like, as I just explained, like intersex can be lots of different things. It can be the visual appearance of the genitalia is not typical to male or female. It can also be that it is typical to male or female, but like the XX or XY chromosomes are different. There's other internal organ differences. So um, this is from Amnesty International's website, amnesty.org, where there's a question of, is transgender the same thing as intersex? So they say, being intersex has nothing to do with being transgender. Our physical sexual characteristics have nothing to do with how we consider our gender identity or with who we are attracted to. The word transgender or trans is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity is different from the sex they were assigned at birth. The word intersex relates to physical sexual characteristics and not to an internal sense of identity. An intersex person may also identify as trans, but they are separate things because gender and sex are separate. An intersex person may be straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or asexual, and may identify as female, male, both, or neither. So, for instance, like with last week's discussion, so La Chevalier considered herself a woman, so she was a woman. She may also have had intersex traits and seems to have been trans, and like we don't know what her love life was like. So, like all these different issues, I don't know. I just know that she was a woman. And maybe also, maybe also was intersex. Um, like anything else other than like she was a woman is just guesses at this point because it has to do with like, well, what chromosomes did she have? Like what was her internal uh, like body organs? Like like we're getting to a lot of, um, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about all this and please reach out and correct me as someone did when someone, I really value this, it's someone from the Tits Out Brigade mentioned, why didn't you mention that Le Chevalier might have been intersex? And I thought, oh shit, I really should have. So that's why I wanted to bring this up today. But then with Christina, it, these, think, these questions all arise as well because of, because of the way that she was born and assigned male at birth and then the next day was reassigned female. So at the very least, seems like she had non-typical presenting genitalia that they first understood in one way and then by the next day they understood in a different way so christina could very well have been intersex it seems like she probably was given this confusion over her birth some of the sources are just like everyone wanted it to be a boy so much they just like hallucinated a penis or i don't know anyway so this is just kind of like this is the beginning of a story in which her relationship with gender is like choose your own adventure but then yeah the the rumors kind of kept sticking to her because when she becomes a grown-up person which we're going to talk about not in this episode but in later episodes or i guess maybe at the end of this episode she um wore pants and she like acted like quote masculine so people were just like mm, for a woman to act this way like it's just like well then her genitals must match this behavior surely and so that's where so it wasn't like people were thinking like oh does she have intersex traits people were just like if you act manly then you must genetically be a man and then it's like the chevalier dayan all over again where it's just people are just like we need to see the genitals like that will answer all the questions and in her case i feel like it would not so anyway yeah so her aunt katerina grabbed the baby like did this like gender reveal to the dad um legend has it and by legend i mean christina's own book he was very happy and he said she'll be clever she has made fools of us all but this is a story christina says she was told a hundred times by her aunt and others but she was a baby at the time and not like a reliable witness and also 
she had reasons to want to make it seem like her father really loved her and thought she was great. Because in fact, having a daughter was very bad news. In the exact same way, it had been very bad news when Anne Boleyn had a daughter around 100 years before in England because the country very much needed a son. Um, Also note, Gustav, when she was born, was also incredibly ill with a fever. So it's possible he didn't actually say anything. Her mom, Maria Eleonora, wasn't told right away. So she just like, I don't know, whatever, went to sleep being like, yeah, I have a son, he's alive. Everyone was just like, oh, she's too fragile to be able to to absorb the devastating news that the baby is not a boy. So not sure how long they waited, but when they told her, as they expected, she was inconsolable. She rejected Christina entirely and just kind of continued on with her own mental collapse. So Gustav recovered from his fever slash illness, and then he you know, put on maybe a genuinely happy face to plan all the festivities to celebrate the birth of a royal baby, because at least they had one alive heir. So she's christened Christina, which is the name that her predecessor, her dead older sibling, had had. Christina is also the name of Gustav's mother and grandmother, and also the name of a Finnish noblewoman he had once been in love with. Her middle name was Augusta, maybe as a version of his name, Gustav. But note that uh, Maria Eleonora had not gotten on well with Gustav's mother, the OG Christina. So naming this baby she hated after women she hated was either very fitting or just made everything worse. As noted earlier, Christina was the best and only potential heir to this family. So Aunt, you might be like, what about Aunt Katerina? Did she have children? She did. But here's the thing. Katerina and her children weren't allowed to inherit because she had married a non-Lutheran so even though Christina was just a little baby, Gustav ensured all the paperwork and announcements and everything were made so everyone knew she was the heir before he set out to continue fighting in what was now the Eight Years' War. He also left instructions, um, should he be killed, that Christina should receive an education of the type normally only afforded to boys. And in fact, he died November 6, 1632. Um, so six years after she was born, he died on the battlefield. And so she was now the little six-year-old new monarch. And so, like in some other stories we've done on this show, where the Swedish version of the word king meant monarch, like ruling person, and queen meant like the female wife of the king. So there wasn't a word that meant like woman who is the monarch. So she was like technically the girl king, which is why that's why the Royal Diaries book is called that. That's why the movie from a few years ago is called that. But remember how Maria Eleonora had been so, like, attached to Gustav is, like, the one thing preventing her from going completely insane. So his death hit her very badly, as you might have imagined. As per usual Swedish tradition, his body was cleaned and embalmed. So he was killed on the battlefield, right? So he wasn't, like, in the same place where she was. One of the witnesses of these rites was his illegitimate son, Christina's half-brother, Gustav Gustafsson, who is now 16 years old and who had been fighting with the Swedish army. Um, The body of Gustav was then escorted back to Sweden, not on skis, but I'm going to have to imagine a sled because it is winter in Sweden. But maybe the people escorting it were on skis. I just feel like skis play a big role in this family. So they reached the castle where Maria Eleonora was living and she wept uncontrollably, which is like, even if everyone wasn't being like, she's so crazy, like an understandable reaction to the battlefield death of your husband the king so 
as part of the like traditional Swedish embalming process, his heart had been removed to be preserved separately. And in a goth proto Mary Shelley moment, Maria Eleonora took it and placed it in a golden casket to keep it with her, which she did constantly. She also sort of put it on like an altar hanging above her bed with like candles around it as sort of like a bedtime light. And so she began planning an elaborate funeral using her usual overspending ways. This is just seems to be like, I relate to it. And this is a bit Anne of Denmark to me. It's just like when you're depressed, it's like go on a shopping spree and maybe feel better for five minutes. For various snow and ice reasons, the body remained with her until July. Remember, he had died the previous November. So it's just like the ground was too frozen to bury him because it's Sweden. So then the whole entourage... Uh, sailed over to a castle in Nushiping for his official burial slash funeral. Christina joined them there from where she'd been living all this time with her aunt, Princess Katerina, and her cousins. Christina and her mother had not seen each other for 15 months. Not that either of them minded that, because they hated each other. And will for their whole lives. So I forgot to say this earlier, but about Christina, she was, like, physically, she was small, like, short, petite, small proportioned. Uh, Like her mother was, she had very big blue eyes and a big long nose, also like her mother. Uh, She had some sort of thing with her shoulders, which was like, sometimes a thing that just like happens to shoulders, uh, where they were like not even, like one was higher up than the other one. She would later claim this was because her mother had dropped her on purpose as a baby. Or she also claimed that assassins from a rival nation had dropped her as a baby. Anyway, she was always self-conscious about this shoulders situation, and in all the portraits of her, she'd pose, like, tilted to the side to try and, like, hide that. So, she had this whole time been living with her aunt Katerina and her husband Johan, who is Count Johan Casimir of Pvaltzaibruken, and her five cousins who were, like, similar age to her. So she was fourth in age to this group. So there were two girls who were on either side of her age-wise. The older cousin was Maria Euphrosyne and the other and I I have to get used to saying that because Maria Euphrosyne is gonna do a bunch of stuff later her other cousin was Eleonora Katerina um then her eldest cousin 10 years older was Countess Christina this is like the fourth Christina in the story Christina Magdalena there was an older boy cousin named Carl Gustav who if I tell you I'm gonna start calling him KG like you know he's gonna be in the story a lot because that's the only time I give people a cute nickname. KG was there. And little baby Adolf, a name I have to really emphasize, was just a normal name in the 1600s and didn't have any connotations of, you know, World War II Nazism. Um, yeah, so Christina, mother, reunited. The attendants set out Gustav's body in the castle, but Maria Eleonora now refused to bury him at all. She had his embalmed body placed in her own bedroom. The coffin was open so she could, I don't know look at him, snuggle with him. She kept the like heart lamp going as well. So time kept passing. It was now over a year after his death. And the Swedish parliament men were like, can we bury him ever? But no, she would not let them. And in fact, finally, against her protests, the body was interred July 1634, 19 months after his death. Christina, seven years old, the girl king, attended this ceremony. 
and he hadn't been buried for a day before Maria Eleonora was begging for the coffin to be opened again, asking that he not be buried so long as she lived. But they were like, yeah, no, crazy lady. And so with him, like his corpse now buried, she turned her intense attention towards her long neglected daughter, Christina, in a section that I have titled The Mummy Dearest Era. So Maria Eleonora dismissed Aunt Katerina. Um, she was just like, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to personally now care for Christina, who's seven years old. Maria Eleonora said Christina looked just like her father and never let her out of her sight. Christina escaped during the day to like do whatever she could to get away from her mother, who's intense attention. So Christina liked to go read books, to ride horses, but at night she was trapped and had to share her mother's like room with her, this like goth mausoleum of a room with her father's embalmed heart hanging above the bed. At around the same time, Christina started getting sick a lot in what seems like could be um, anxiety slash psychological things manifesting as physical symptoms because this is like quite a situation to be living in. Meanwhile, so the Swedish parliament men were like, mm, do we really want this like little girl to be the new king? And they're like, there's kind of no option because Gustav is dead now. And the continuation of the Vasa dynasty was important, and she was the only way for that to happen. So, as you might expect, there was some opposition to a female ruler, but behind the scenes she had enough supporters, and the fact that she apparently looked so much like her father seemed to convince other people. They're like, he's like being, not that they were like, he's been reincarnated, but they're like, this is like reassuring. So she was elected queen, because this was a situation that I don't, other podcasts probably talk about this, but they like elected their monarchs they weren't just like appointed anyway so she became king of the swedes goths and vandals great princess of finland duchess of estonia and karelia and lady of ingria and so she had been raised to understand that being monarch was like her divine right in the sense of like god made her this so her right to rule was like absolute um god himself had put her in this throne in this place this explains a lot about her behavior later and montage so for the next 12 years like until she was 18 and although she was king five men ruled in her name chief among them another main character in this podcast axel oxenhruna who had also been her father's right-hand man and was honestly like you want him to be like a sketchy um like shifty you know conniving person but he was just like really good at this job so yeah really not as schemey as you might assume he would have been but of course, she's this young princess slash king. There was a lot of talk about who would be the best person to marry her to in that alliance building sort of way. And everyone at this point's first choice was her cousin, Friedrich Wilhelm, who was 13 years old when she was seven. He was the son of the Elector of Brandenburg and was going to inherit the Duchy of Pomerania. I do not know where any of those places are, but it sounds impressive. And importantly, this had been Gustav's plan in the first place before he died. And Maria Eleonora had at that time supported this match as well. So what's crucial about this, so as much as I want to like trust what Christina said in her own memoir, she was savvy about PR things. So when she was writing her own story slash like living her life, she tried to make it seem like her father had always intended for her to be monarch on her own and not to get married. But in fact, her father had been planning her marriage alliance when she was seven years old. And probably because he had been assuming that 
you know, she would have a regent until she was 18, then she'd get married, and then her husband would be the actual king, so, like, there wouldn't actually be a girl ruler, I think was what Gustav was maybe up to, but she, that didn't serve what she wanted to do later. But the thing is, so the people in Sweden, except for her, were like, let's marry her to this guy, Friedrich, but the German princes didn't want to agree to this match for 30 years war-related reasons, in that they didn't know if they and the Swedes would even get along by the time Christine was old enough to get married, so they didn't want to, like, lock this down. Another option was the Archduke Ulrich in Denmark, a man in his early 20s, and he was the son of the Danish king Christian IV. And so Axel Oxenherna was not into this match, but Maria Eleonora at this point was, and Christian wanted to put a wedge between Maria Eleonora and Axel Oxenherna. So this was all going according to his plan to, like, use Maria to like get in the way. Maria Eleonora didn't like Axel either, was happy to find a powerful ally against him, and she also preferred this match because Christina was a monarch, and she felt only marriage to another monarch would do. The other guy, Friedrich, was the son of the elector of Brandenburg, and he would inherit the Duchy of Pomerania, so not like literally a king. Also, fun fact, before he died, well I guess before he went on the trip that like where he died on it, Gustav had um, said that Christina should be taken away from her mother and that Maria Eleonora was not to be permitted to have any influence over her, presumably because Gustav didn't like Maria Eleonora and thought she was insane. So the senators were like, uh, so should we do that or not? Um, and this is where, so this is the part of the story where Christina had been with Katerina, but then she's with Maria Eleonora again, and she was left with her mother for two years living in the lake embalmed heart room while the parliamentarians were just kind of like what should we do so maria eleanor kept planning memorials like a new tomb or a new chapel then a new castle and then a whole new city like all these things to commemorate gustav but no stone was ever laid for any of these things she was just coming up with plans and wanting to spend money yeah, well, I think another reason why Gustav wanted Christina kept away from her mother was the fact that Maria Eleonora, who was German, as I mentioned before, hated Sweden, its language, its people, and its customs. And so the senators were like, we should probably avoid having the, like, girl king of Sweden raised around someone who, like, hates Sweden so much. Finally, when Christina was 10, Axel Oxenherna removed her from her mother's care and sent her back to her aunt Katerina and her cousins. At this point, Maria Eleonora herself was removed from the Gothic castle of, like, heart worship, and she was placed under guard on the island castle of Gripsholm, 50 miles away. So, Christina, and this is where I think the Royal Diaries book takes place. It's like her growing up with her cousins. So she went, she was schooled with her cousins, who were all similar age to her, and they all did the same coursework, which is notable because later on, Christina would claim she was a genius far superior to other children of her same age, but, like, she and her cousins all did the same classwork. She was, like, fine. Her favorite thing to study were stories of the ancient world, especially Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, with whom she identified. She saw herself as the next in a long line of great and very smart kings who would be extremely successful and significant. Her room was hung with tapestries of Alexander the Great's exploits, like people nowadays might put up posters of, like, BTS. She was just, like, an Alexander the Great stan. She was already, aged 11, entirely settled into a frame of mind that she would keep for the rest of her life. Namely, that women inherently were awful, except for her, because she was not like other girls. And it sounds like this is what she's like in the Royal Diaries book, just, like, an unsufferable brat who's just like, "Mm, I'm not like other girls. 
so she just assumed she she also assumed she was smarter and more clever than anyone else around her not just girls and women but like anyone because she had read about alexander the great and julius caesar and because she was the king um everyone like humored her in this and pretended like she was smarter than everybody else so it's kind of like an emperor's new clothes scenario where like she thought she was great and everyone's like yeah no you're great and she wasn't but no one would tell her that except for me now so she spent time with axel oxenherna who's kind of like the main regent at this point so and he was the person running the country she admired his stories of war and learned from him about like statecraft and things although spoiler those lessons didn't stick so another influence her misogyny like christina hated women and girls and all female things and this wasn't just like because her mother had sort of traumatized her in those years that they lived together but she just kind of thought all women were like her mother were sort of like i don't know fragile like shopaholics who like had embalmed hearts in the rooms but spending all this time with axel ox and herna probably also rubbed off on her because he wrote a letter to the senate saying christina is not like other members of her sex she is stout-hearted and of good understanding so clearly she was being regularly congratulated for being not like other girls so of course she would like really strongly make that her defining trait to herself and this is where we can get into like is this a gender dysphoria situation is christina a trans man and maybe certainly she was not exposed to other ways of being a woman besides like the court ladies around her i guess which is not to say that she wasn't also a trans man but she just like hated women so in terms of like being a girl and a king the one potential role model she had was queen elizabeth the first who lived about 100 years before all of this and but christina didn't like look up to her as a role model she more was jealous of her but there's there's similarities right like she had that famous speech where she's like you know i might just have a woman's body but i have the heart and stomach of a king the difference between that and what christina said and thought was elizabeth said that like to an army before a battle and christina just said this all the time to everybody england was a protestant country like sweden the tudor dynasty had also been fragile like the vasas were so in sweden elizabeth was like remembered as a great heroine and in fact there were still some people alive who had been alive when she was for instance Christina's great aunt Cecilia had been best friends with Elizabeth for a while, as you'll recall. Cecilia had died when Christina was four, so they, I don't know if they would have met each other, but that's how close Christina was to like people who had actually known Elizabeth I. So both of them had spent some time trapped. Elizabeth had been in prison as a young woman. Christina had been trapped with her mother in the like castle of death, but Rather than to aim to, like, emulate Elizabeth, Christina was jealous of her and wanted to show her up and be better than her. Christina herself, like, and Elizabeth, the fact that she very recently had lived and, like, was an effective and popular leader was kind of proof that, like, women could be okay monarchs. But Christina was like, "Mm, no, women are terrible. Women are terrible at leading. Elizabeth was an exception. And so will I be. So Christina wrote in her unpublished memoir later as an adult, she wrote, as a young girl i had an overwhelming aversion to everything that women do or say i couldn't bear their tight-fitting fussy clothes i took no care of my complexion or my figure or the rest of my appearance i never wore a hat or a mask and scarcely ever wore gloves i despised everything belonging to my sex hardly excluding modesty and propriety i couldn't stand long dresses and i only wanted to wear short skirts 
What's more, I was so hopeless at all the womanly crafts that no one could ever teach me anything about them. I want to note at this point that Christina didn't brush her hair. And this is an era where it's like, okay, whatever, like, everyone's wearing wigs, but who cares? But she just became famous for this, like, really, really messy hair. Because she's just like, I'm not like other girls. I don't brush my hair. So everything she's mentioning there is, like, she didn't, like, dresses. She didn't, like, fussy clothes. She didn't, like skincare she didn't like gloves like she's not saying i don't like my woman body she's saying i don't like these like traditionally feminine things so like this could be gender dysphoria this could be her being like a tomboy could be her feeling constrained by the only image of femininity she was exposed to she could be non-binary like she could be like part of all those things or all of those things i don't know but she just like hated women a lot Christina. And she also continued to be ill frequently, and it seems like a lot of these were like emotional in origin. So in the biography by Veronica Buckley, the author wrote, Christina spent her days more or less charging at the world, infuriating and exhausting those around her. So she was kind of a nightmare person, as I think you probably have gleaned from everything I've said so far. Um, 1638, after three years of living with her aunt, Princess Katerina, Aunt Princess Katerina died, and so the cousins were moved to a different castle, except for the youngest girl cousin, Maria Euphrosyne, who stayed with Christina for the next four years as a companion, and I wrote, poor her. Christina's tutor died when she was 16, and so she was at that point left to her own devices, which I think we can all glean by now was not the best of ideas, because her own devices were, well, you know what, it makes for a good story. So, now we get into love story, or potential love story part one. So her cousin Carl Gustav, aka KG, who she'd grown up with in Aunt Princess Katerina's house, was now becoming a war hero. Um, This is at the point where Christina is 15 and he is 19. And so they met again after some time, and it turned into maybe a first love crush thing between first cousins, which at this point was like, okay, for royals. So, but it seems like what Christina liked best about this was not the like love story of it, but the fact that it offered her an excuse to scheme and um, sneak around because they were not allowed to be alone unchaperoned. So they sent secret sexy letters between themselves um, delivered by Maria Euphrosyne, who was KG's sister and Christina's cousin and friend. One of the reasons why they had to sneak around was also because Axel Oxenherna probably wouldn't have approved of this match because he didn't trust KG's schemey relatives and family who he suspected were manipulating Christina for their own advancement. And I just have to mention, throughout her life, a lot of people manipulated Christina for their own advancement, and she was too proud to ever admit when that happened to her, but it happened to her a lot. Um, and then also, Axel Oxenherna was the head of her regency council and would have to approve whoever she wanted to marry. Meanwhile, a job had opened up as a member of the regency council, KG was a strong candidate. He had no other employment and wanted the job. The senators were like, Christina, do you want to nominate him for this position? And she was like, oh, ho, ho, time for some clever scheming for no reason. So I've been watching recently past seasons of Survivor, which frankly, I recommend. But Christina reminds me of sometimes there's players on Survivor who are just like not strategic and not smart, but they think they are. But all they do is just like random chaotic moves that they mistake for being actually really smart. And that's kind of what she was up to. So Christina had come to resent Axel Oxenherna and how much power he had because she thought she was the best person ever. How dare he tell her what to do, etc. 
you'd think she would be in favor of bringing KG because that would annoy Axel Oxenharna. But she like overthought this. She was like, what if I don't bring in KG because that would trick Axel into thinking that Christina sided with him when she didn't really. So all of her plans are overly complicated with like, like this. And in general, we're all bad plans. So she refused to nominate KG for the position and everyone was confused. She thought this made her look smart and clever, but actually it made her look immature and foolish and like an asshole, all of which she was. So if you're like, wait, but where's her mother been all this time? So Maria Eleonora, like as Christina was just sort of like terrorizing royal court as a teenager, Maria Eleonora, who's like, I forget, she's, so she's 40 years old. She's like not old at all, been through it. So she's still trapped on the island castle of Gripsholm. She'd been there now for four years, not alone. Her ladies-in-waiting were with her. She was not allowed to visit her daughter, brackets, who didn't want to see her anyway. Maria Eleonora started a secret pen pal relationship with King Christian of Denmark, and Denmark being at this point the enemy of Sweden. And so Maria Eleonora was kind of working on just like an escape from captivity in like the most glorious, like, fuck you, Sweden way. Because remember, she hates Sweden. She's always hated Sweden. Frankly, Sweden has not treated her well. Can't blame her. So she was very beautiful, 40 years old. And so she won the heart of the man who was supposed to be her captor, Marshall Nielsen. And Marshall Nielsen helped her get passage on a Danish sailing ship back to the mainland. Rumors had it she was heading off to see Christian, who was her lover. He was probably not her lover, given that I don't know if they had ever met before. Christian was also 23 years older than her, married, and had 12 children. His wife had left him for a German count. So, like, want to learn about that wife. So, Maria Eleonora arrived. He was like, oh, wait a minute, you're, like, absolutely unbearable to have around. And started to find ways to get rid of her because he did not like her. Um, This took two years for him to figure out how to get rid of her, during which time... So, Maria Eleonora, because she had, like, effectively defected to Denmark... She'd been cut off from getting her, like, royal allowance as, like, the dowager queen or whatever. Christian had arranged that she started getting her income again. So then he finally kicked her out. She spent four years with her nephew, Friedrich, remember the one who Christina was going to maybe be married to, in Brandenburg until she finally returned to Stockholm. And Christina was there, fully grown. And by this point, she was the reigning monarch in her own name because she was 18 years old. So... 1644, aged 18, Christina was declared an adult, although the coronation was postponed because of war-related reasons. Now, in terms of, like, the gender stuff, I'm just going to quote from Veronica Buckley's biography again. Christina walked like a man, sat and rode like a man, and could eat and swear like the roughest soldier. Her voice was deep and gruff, and her temper warm, which means um, bad-tempered. A a warm temper to me sounds nice, but no, they mean she was mean. Christina's servants were no strangers to blows or bruises. She liked best to talk of manly things, and whenever she spoke of military action, she adopted a sort of martial pose, planting one foot in front of the other. Which, again, it's like, is this... This sort of gender exploration was more allowed for a rich queen than it would be for, like, a less rich anybody else, I think. So, yeah, she's behaving not in the typical female ways. And this is kind of where people are just like, but what is her genitalia? 
this kind of, I think this is part of where that stuff comes from. She also wanted to get rid of Axel Ox and Herna once and for all. Because even though he was like really good and talented and had been like effectively running the country for 30 years, she was jealous of how much power he had. The major issue between them was what is now the 26 years war, which he wanted to keep fighting and she wanted to end it with a peace agreement. So the what would become the 30 years war, like spoiler, it goes on for four more years, is I asked a friend of the podcast, Lanoa Johnson, who knows about this stuff. I was like, can you please just tell me what it is? Because I don't care about military history but like for context i need to understand it and it's effectively just like the habsburgs fighting against some other people and it's like a war of religion and sweden's involvement was mostly like the war was taking place like in sweden but sweden wasn't like a major force in this battle anyway so she wanted to end the war because like me she found wars boring axel oxenherna was like you're a nightmare person like please stop being an asshole and the strain of this mutual dislike triggered her various illnesses so this is sort of like where she's like relatable maybe the only way in which she's relatable is christina is like running around just being a nightmare just like so like brash and like confident and like a dick to everybody but like she also had these psychosomatic illnesses like the strain of all of this really got to her so she claimed the cause yeah so she had fallen seriously ill by the time she was um within a year of turning 18 she had fallen seriously ill she claimed the cause of her illness was the great exhaustion of being monarch but honestly she kind of wasn't doing anything as monarch because she was um yeah busy just trying to undermine everybody all the time anyway she recovered from that illness then got the measles then got better and all of her choices that she was making as monarch just seemed entirely just to be the opposite of what Axel would have done. For instance, he didn't like the French, so she decided the French were her favorite people. Like, that sort of thing. Just like, real mature Christina. Yeah, so uh, the first main grifter, the first of numerous grifters that would enter her life, is Monsieur Marc Duncan de Cerissance, who was... Veronica Boca describes, brawler and seducer extraordinaire, former gentleman of Constantinople, future Catholic aristocrat, currently Huguenot diplomat at large. So he's just this like sexy French guy. And Christina's like, I love your energy. I love France now because Axel hates it. And he just like saw how easy it would be to manipulate her because she was like so sheltered and naive and um, wanted, would listen to anyone who told her she was the greatest. So she sent him to Paris to assist Sweden's minister there. And the minister already there was someone who had been appointed by Axel. I'm not sure if the other guy was good at the job, but at least he was better than Monsieur Mark Duncan was because Mark peaced out and just like wandered away when he was in Paris, never to return. Christina gave him, I forget, just like lots of money or like some another better job because she just like would not accept that she had been tricked by somebody. So she just kept treating him like he was great because... She just couldn't accept that she could have made a mistake or had bad judgment and throughout her life, as we will see. She repeatedly falls victim to people like Mark Duncan, who were not even good grifters, like just wildly unsubtle, obviously con men, but she really liked being sneaky and they appealed to that thing. So after Mark Duncan wandered away, she chose a new representative in Paris, who was a guy named Count Magnus Gabriel de la Gardie. Magnus, going to become a recurring character. So Magnus was a Swedish slash French person vaguely related to her. 
He was tall and handsome and French, so Axel hated him because Axel hated the French. Um, Christina liked him because she liked the French and she liked people who Axel hated. She named him Colonel of her guard, which was a questionable choice because he was young and inexperienced and she was only doing it because it would annoy Axel and she kind of had a crush on him. But guess who Magnus was actually into? Not Christina. He was into her cousin slash companion, Maria Euphrosyne. He proposed to her, Maria Euphrosyne. She accepted. And then Christina appointed him ambassador extraordinary to France, which is a fake job. (laughs) If you're like, what's the ambassador extraordinary? A fake job she just invented. But that was basically just so that he, she would make him leave town because she just liked manipulating people. KG was also around, by the way, her cousin, and he's um, still in love with her. Just like, bear in mind, he's still wandering around. Anyway, Magnus left for Paris, and Christina went to her room and cried because she missed him. He returned after seven months, and he married Maria Euphrosyne in a lavish wedding, which Christina unsurprisingly made all about her because she was a messy bitch who lived for drama, and she had yet to comprehend that other people besides her had feelings. Does she ever comprehend this? Stay tuned. So now we move on to her second potential lover, which is her lesbian moment. So with Magnus gone, well, with Magnus off the market, Magnus married to Maria Euphrosyne, Christina turned her romantic attention not to KG, who's just like floating around loving her, but rather to her lady-in-waiting, Ebba Spare. So because Ebba was so beautiful and Christina liked French things, she renamed her Belle. So I'm going to call her Ebba, frankly, because I don't know if Ebba wanted to be called Belle by Christina. So Ebba and Christina were around the same age, but entirely different personalities. Belle was timid and feminine with zero interest in academics, aka similar to Maria Eleonora, which you'd think would be the sort of person Christina would hate the most, but she was very fond of her. So the two shared a bed, which is not necessarily a sexy thing, because people in their ladies-in-waiting would share beds because it was sweet and it was cold, but it could have been a sexy thing. And Christina made it be a sexy thing because she started around making double entendres about it and basically forcing everyone to gossip that the two women were lovers because she just like wanted everyone to be like scandalized by her. So in front of the English ambassador, Christina said um, that Ebba's inside was as beautiful as her outside, which made everybody blush and be shocked. Um, Before long, her bad jokes turned into fact, and everyone believed that she and Ebba were lesbians. Or, this is again where they're like, but what if Christina has intersex traits? And this is like proof that Christina is actually like trans or whatever. So it's a, in that way, are they a heterosexual couple? Anyway, Christina, this is the thing, like people speculated about her, but she like instigated some of it and like made people do it like she what's the word she inspired them to do it so this is when all the previous stuff came up like um everyone was just solving the mystery of like the genitalia so like they're like she walked like a man she refused to marry kg who was handsome and loved her why did she wear flat shoes like she must be secretly a man or have intersex traits or be a lesbian everyone's just like what does it mean why doesn't she brush her hair and christina loved the attention She fueled the gossip by being like, I could not bear to be used by a man the way a peasant uses his fields, which is her saying like, I don't want to like be, you know, like a broodmare for some dude. But also this is like, in terms of the lesbian love story, like, is this her and Ebba 
being in love or even having a sexual relationship? Or is Christina just using this for like gossip to like get people talking about her and she actually is like an asexual person? Unclear. Even if we go with the interpretation that this is like a cute little love story of two lesbians in Sweden, um, it's also not that. Because Christina was rude to Ebba as well, because she was just a prop for The Christina Show, for instance. One day she and Ebba went to visit some French guy who was visiting, and they found him in bed reading an erotic book. Christina knew it was an erotic book, but Ebba didn't know that, so Christina was like, Ebba, can you read this out loud? And Ebba didn't, she started to read it out loud, but she didn't realize what kind of book it was until she started reading, and Christina was just like, ha lol, I made you read an erotic book out loud, isn't this funny? And I'm sure the French guy was like, ha as well. Also, side note, Ebba and this also might speak to Christina's motivations here, was engaged to the son of Axel Oxenherna, whose name was Binked. So this might be Christina trying to fuck things up to go up against Axel or like to ruin that marriage or something. So she convinced Ebba to call off the engagement and rather to marry Jacob, the younger brother of Magnus, who is the one who Christina had the crush on and then married Maria Euphrosyne. So a a gossipy story went around that during Ebba's wedding, Christina ordered all the guests to strip nude and dance or have an orgy, which could have happened. But even if it didn't, the fact people believe that gossip shows what kind of reputation Christina was like literally intentionally building for herself. Not sure why. So Ebba and Jacob were not a happy couple, partly because even after they were married, Ebba kept living with Christina. Ebba wound up having three children, all of whom died in infancy, Within a few years, Jacob died also, making her a widow. And then Ebba declined into illness and sadness, as Christina continued treating her like a pet, which maybe contributed to her illness and or sadness. I'm sorry, that was an acute lesbian love story. But could it have ever been when Christina is involved? Yeah, so Axel Oxenherna and everybody were like, Christina, like, please marry somebody so you can have an heir, like, in alliances, like, what is happening? And she was like, "Mm, okay, I guess I'll marry... KG. KG was like, oh my god, really? Finally, huzzah! But then Christina like went to see him secretly and she was like, I'm not actually planning to marry you. This is all a ruse to increase your public standing so I can appoint you commander-in-chief. So she and KG had a sit-down with other people there, like Magnus was there, to DTR to find the relationship, in which she was like, I won't ever marry you unless when I need to for political reasons. So in approximately five years, I will give you a final answer vis-a-vis, are we going to get married? And in the meantime, you can write love letters to me if you want, but please don't send them to me. You can send them to your father, who is my uncle, who will pass them along. And also, please go to Germany. And then he had to pretend that she had agreed to marry him for political reasons, but also because of in case if she died, he would be her heir. So like, Christina, what the fuck? Anyway, KG fell ill plagued with headaches and fainting fits and who can blame him like the emotional fuckery he decided to just go off and be a soldier because like you know work out some aggression as they had decided he sent letters back to her visa via in between other people magnus wrote back um encouraging him don't give up on christina but like come on like she's clearly never gonna marry him but also like who knows what christina was up to if she married kg it would be the ultimate fuck you to axel oxenherna which you think she would like. But she did not do this, um, even though the marriage would also bring new fortune and privileges to her cousins and the family who had raised her, which you'd think she would also like because Axel wouldn't like it. So it might have been her idolization of um, slash rivalry with 
Queen Elizabeth I, who had never married. Like, Christina just was determined to never get married. And that might have been just sort of like her... She wanted to be like, I am the special one. I don't want a man to take away my power, which is kind of like what Elizabeth I was doing. But also she like really, really, really did not want to have children, which would, as soon as she married a man, like that would be what was expected of her. But anyway, she kept stringing him along, never accepted his overtures for a romantic relationship. And that's where we're going to leave things for today, because this is a fucking long, amazing story. And I can't even predict right now. I was thinking this is going to be a two-parter. Now I feel like this could be like a three-parter. I f- it, could, it could become our first ever four-parter. There's just like, honestly, I got halfway through what I thought I was going to get through in this episode. So like, stay tuned for more. Les reminders pour vous. First of all, if you haven't looked at the Vulgar History Store in a minute, I encourage you to take a look because there is a new design there, which is the Fair of the necklace, the necklace, the t-shirt. I worked with this amazing artist, Hiro Chabert, who created a beautiful graphic that's like, so when you wear the t-shirt, it looks like you're wearing the Jean de Lamotte. Ugly necklace, but on a t-shirt, it looks cute. So you can find that there. When you're looking at vulgarhistory.store, remember you can always use code TITSOUT for free US shipping or TITSOUT10 for 10% off. Also for the month of June, 2022, when you buy any of the stuff from the Mary Toft collection, Um, I'm going to be donating those proceeds to the National Network of Abortion Funds. And vulgarhistory.com is a place you can go. There's a form where you can give me feedback or suggest people you think would be good to talk about on the show. If you have hung out with llamas, um, that's where you can send me pictures of you hanging out with llamas, which someone just did, and it made my life. If you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash vulgarhistory, that's where when you shop for books there, using that link, then a little bit goes to help support the show. There's also Patreon. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash Writer, that's where if you pledge as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes um, free of advertisements. And when you pledge um, at least $5 a month, then you get access to all the bonus content. So that's like, so this asshole, the episode's about men in history who are terrible. This month, in honor of Christina, I'm going to be doing Alexander the Great, a person I don't know anything about. So I'm going to be learning about him. And... Also in there, that's where you get the Vulgar Peace Theater episodes, where I'm joined with Alison Epstein and Lana Wood Johns to talk about movies. And this month, in fact, we're talking about The Girl King, the movie about Christina that makes her and Ebba's story look like a cute lesbian love story. So we'll see what we think about that. And also, the most important thing is you're listening to this, and I love you all for listening to this podcast. That's a thing you can do for free. And, you know, let your friends know about the podcast, whatever, like spread the word, Another thing you can do for free is to um, rate as many stars as you can, five stars on various apps, including Spotify has a place where you can tap on it to like rate five stars. We're getting really close to 2,000 five-star reviews, which is exciting. Like it'd be cool if by the next time I record, we're at the 2,000, then we can celebrate all together. Yeah, so follow us on Instagram at Vulgar History Pod, Twitter at Vulgar History. And until then, my friends, keep your pants on and your tits out.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.